Sometimes I think that we've been in this church culture so long that we need a dose of outside eyes. We need to see things how the world outside of us sees things. I mean, how do people face problems and struggles and trials in life without Jesus? I mean, you've all maybe been there. You, you know people that are there. Their lives usually just keep cycling worse. They try to find something to, to help them feel better. They try to find something that's going to take the pain away, that's going to take the edge off, that's going to help them numb the, the feelings and the thoughts and the, the attitudes or the pain. And that just takes you further down the, the wrong direction. We have the answer. But sometimes I think that we get conditioned to life and to things and we get stagnant. And so what I wanted to look at tonight is straight from uh, the Apostle Peter. I, I love looking at, at Peter's ideas and his thoughts as he reflected on his life near the end of his life. And, and we see that, that Peter, when he walked with Jesus, faced tough times. But he also faced incredibly tough times after Jesus ascended and, and, and was, was in heaven. Um, I mean, have any of you witnessed anybody getting crucified upside down? I mean, that's what legend tells us. I mean, Nick has, but uh, other than Nick, nobody else has. But, you know, that, that's the way this guy's life ended. You think you got it bad? Is anybody hanging you upside down and crucifying you? Now, Dave, don't say Wilma did that because I know better. So that's right. I know, I know better. But my question for you is, is, do you find yourself getting angry at people who see things differently than you do? We uh, have kind of some prevailing attitude in our culture. Um, you know, it's, it's funny to me. I'm, I'm, I'm not like a, I don't have a doctorate or I didn't even do a lot of classes in history, but my dad was a history major in college. And so that kind of rubbed off on me. I'm, I, I like to look at, at history and watch history. And, you know, when you look at history in the grand scheme of the modern time, you know, our country is a couple hundred years old and we think that the, the world revolves around America and that we're it and that we're the greatest thing ever. I think we're the greatest thing ever. I, I think this is the greatest country ever to have been born in and to live in and I am proud to be an American. And if I was ever elected to office, they would impeach me because they wouldn't like what I had to say. But, uh, you know, I, I, I love America. But we, a lot of times, look at things through the lenses like everything should be the way we see it. And we is even a foggy idea. <laughs> you guys watched TV in the last 10 years? Have you seen the elections and how every one of them is brutally divided down the middle, one side against the other? And then when you pick it apart and you even get within that one side, you can have 500 different ideas of what's right. But what usually unifies people and what usually draws us back together in tough times is that we can agree upon something that is bigger than the situation, bigger than the issue. What we look at here in this text is Peter drawing us back in to be able to say to us, yes, life is tough. Yes, things are difficult. Yes, even being a Christian. Yes, church is tough. Yes, hanging around other Christians. Yes, dealing with people on a day-in and day-out basis is difficult. But he's reminding us in 1 Peter chapter 5, which is our text that we're going to look at, that we've got to put our focus on the facts of God's Word. And, you know, I like what Mark Twain has to say about facts. He says, get your facts first, then you can distort them as you please. <laughs> he says, get it straight first, and then you can mess them up all you want. But a lot of times, 
in the Christian world, we'll draw a line in the sand over our opinion or over a tradition for how we've done things when really the only thing that we should narrow the focus of the bullseye, if you think about those things in the, in the range of a bullseye, the outside rings would be you know, your opinions. The inner ring would be your traditions. The middle would be essentials. The really only thing worth going to bat for, really the only thing worth drawing a line in the sand for, is what's eternal, is what God's Word tells us is the main thing. We can have a whole lot of things in our minds swirling around as what the main thing is, but we need to keep it focused on the essential. You know, I, I also look at our culture today and I realize that the prince of the power of the air, it's my favorite uh, title that's given to the devil in, in God's word because I, I like that. It, it very accurately depicts what he is. He, he's got a grasp on things that a lot of times we don't realize. And um, I also like this quote. It's, it's given by many, many people, but I think the original was a French uh, poet, Charles Baudelaire. I like the way his name sounded mainly. But uh, he says, the greatest trick the devil's ever pulled was convincing the world that he doesn't exist. You know, we've got this mental image of a cute little red-eared uh, guy with a bifurcated tail and a pitchfork hopping around, <laughs> giggling like, you know, Oh, you know, the devil made me do it, you know, like he's harmless, almost to the point to where it's a fairy tale and he's not real. Make no mistake about it, he's real. What Peter is, is talking about is he's addressing issues within the church and, and the body of Christ, which, believe it or not, 2,000 years ago, they had issues in the body of Christ just like we do too. You know why there's issues in the body of Christ? Because it's full of people. Okay, just making sure you got that. Anywhere there's people, there will be problems, guaranteed. No doubt about it. It's just going to happen. But Peter is, is reeling us in here to help us realize, you know, that we've got a bigger, bigger fish to fry, so to speak, when you look at it. I like the heading in, in one of the Bibles that I was doing some studying in for this passage. It's, it's Peter saying that it's, it's important to realize that he's shepherding God's people in the midst of suffering. I asked you a little while ago if, if any of you were going through difficult times, and lots of you, raise your hands. And, and if we would broaden that circle, if we would, even if it wasn't us that was going through something difficult, if we would be able to know someone personally that was facing really difficult situations in their life, almost every single one of us could raise our hands because we, we all are close to the fact that we live in a fallen world and, and stuff's going to be a mess sometimes. But as we look at this passage of Scripture, it's going to give us some, some good, good advice, but I want you to, to understand that Peter's talking to the church. He's talking to them, and he's saying, yeah, there's, there's things going on, and, and we're talking about that. We're going to address that, but the bigger picture is focused on what is to come. I wanted to read. It's a little long, but I, I felt like this was really, really good. It was a little quote from my prior Bible commentary. If you're looking for a good study Bible, highly recommend it. If you, if you don't have a, a good study Bible that you like, Check out the Fire Bible. They sell it at any Christian bookstore. It is a great, great Bible. It's a great, great resource. It has great, great commentary. Uh, but it says, When the first humans chose to defy God, they became slaves to sin. And they had brought that into the world. And as a result, they gave up the authority over creation God had originally delegated to them. Think about that. God originally delegated authority to us to tend the earth, to do what needed to be done. Satan rose up and seized that control over the earth and began to dominate the world with his evil purposes. He now patrols the earth as commander of a host of evil spirits through whom he enslaves and he keeps captive those who do not have a personal relationship with Christ. 
A lot of times we, we forget that. We forget that there's legitimately a spiritual war going on day after day. Only Christ's true and faithful followers have been rescued and liberated from Satan's powers. Yet like a ferocious beast, he remains a threat to believers and seeks to ruin and destroy them. You ever gone through a rough patch in life? You know, I, I've heard people that they blame everything on the devil. It's like, oh, that's the devil. Oh, that's the devil. Oh, that's the devil. Sometimes it's just you being stupid. Sometimes you just made a bad choice and you shouldn't have done that and you brought it on yourself. Can you say stupid in an in a adult message? I guess you did, so I guess so. But uh, I don't actually say that to the kids because then I get you know, hate mail from mom. We don't say stupid in our house. Don't you teach it to my children. So you guys got a special treat tonight. So congratulations. But you know, we, we forget that sometimes it is just our bad choices. But all too often, we do need to never underestimate our opponent. You ever, you ever watched a sporting contest and somebody that was an underdog won? We've all watched an underdog come back and, and win against all odds. Well, the enemy of our souls is an underdog. He knows he's losing. He knows that the, the handwriting is on the wall. He knows that, that his days are numbered, but he is going to go down swinging with everything that he's got, trying to take as many people with him as he possibly can. We need to realize that it is a battle. It is something that we've got to take very seriously. There's always words that really stick out to me in the text. And as we get to our text in 1 Peter 5, I want you to, to take a peek at the word stand as we get to it. 1 Peter 5.8 says, stay alert. Watch out for your great enemy, the devil. He prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Now, anytime I talk about the enemy of our soul, I don't, I don't like to dwell on him too much. And so I, I like to bring out 1 John 4, 4, because it's important that you realize I'm not doing this tonight to make you terrified of the devil. I'm not wanting you to run out. Oh my goodness, the devil's going to get me. Oh my goodness, the devil's got me. He's, he's coming after me. Greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. Say that with me. Say, greater is he that's in me than he that's in the world. You guys would have all gotten a behavior balloon popped if this was kids' church. I expect audience participation. One more time. Greater is he that's in me than he that is in the world. That's right. Don't ever forget it. Don't ever forget that we are on the winning side. Do you, did you need to be reminded of that tonight? Whatever you're, if you raised your hand earlier and you're going through a crisis, you needed, if, if you don't hear anything else tonight, you're on the winning side. Greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. You, who, who is for you is bigger and stronger and, and, and better than who is against you. I, I tell it to kids like this, you know, a lot of times our, our culture is obsessed with superheroes and, you know, and we think like, here's God and then the devil's his arch enemy, you know, well, that in theory is kind of right, but it, usually with an arch enemy, you know. The, the superhero has power, the, and the supervillain has power that's equal or can, can find the weakness to get at the superhero. God has no weakness. The devil has no power against him. There's no comparison. He could squash him like a bug, and if I was God, I would have already done that. I don't understand why he, he does it the way that he does, but he's God. He didn't ask for my opinion. I'd have just squashed the devil a long time ago, but that's just me. Maybe I'm vindictive or mean or something. I don't know. 
But, uh, you know, that's how he does it. But he says, stay alert. Watch out. Your great enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone who to devour. Why does he use this analogy, the lion? I, um, for those of you that don't know, when we moved back to Kansas City after my dad passed away, we moved in with my mom. And so that's interesting in lots of different ways. It's great. I, I love it. It really is very cool. Um, I'm spoiled on two accounts by a wife and a mom. It's pretty great. You know, I, I don't think I've lifted a finger to do laundry or cook since I've been there. And I think this is being recorded, so you can edit that out so they don't know that I'm uh, telling their tales. But uh, I'm bragging on them. I think it's awesome. But my mom has recently become acquainted with a show called Planet Earth. Any of you guys ever watched the show Planet Earth? She'd never seen it. Whatever cable package she had before we moved in, we brought ours with her, and she has this channel now, and she is obsessed with it. Oh, my goodness. She will sit there all day long and watch, and every new scene, oh, my gosh, Jonathan, come see this. You wouldn't believe it. And the other day, we were watching the scene with a lion going after, you know, uh, a gazelle or something on the, uh, the prairie of, a, of um, Africa, and, you know and you could just see her. She's over there on the couch running with the, the antelope. Go, 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 go. You know, but then at the same time, when the lion finally does capture the antelope and brings it down, she's like, well, you know, those lions had to eat too, you know. So she, she sees it through both sides. You know, she's going to be positive for everybody. But the lion is fierce in hunting. But the lion is also very, very sneaky, very tricky. The lions will lay around on the prairie out there long enough to where the other animals just kind of get used to them being there so that they don't realize that the threat is right there. You know, you've heard the, the story about put a toad in water on the pot and let it boil slowly, turn it up a little bit at a time. I've never tried that, but uh, they say that it works, that if you bring the water temperature up ever so slowly, the, the frog doesn't realize that the water's getting hot until it's too late. What's well, much the same way with lions. They'll be right there next to the animals, and they know their striking distance. They know how close they need to be, but they'll flirt with it. They'll be just close enough to it, and they'll watch closely. And then do you know what they do? They watch for the animal that's weak. They watch for the animal that has a little gimp, got a little catch in the get-along. It's got something that's just not quite right so they can say, got it. Ding, 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 ding. You know what the enemy of your soul is, is excellent at identifying? When we're weak. He knows exactly when we're not in God's word. He knows exactly when we're not on our knees. He knows exactly when we're going through the motions in the Christian life. He knows exactly when we are not staying alert. He's prowling around, it says. Stand firm against him, verse 9 says, and be strong in your faith. Remember that your family of believers all over the world is going through the same kind of suffering that you are. Why is Peter doing this? He's doing this to remind people that when they're going through a mess, that you're part of something bigger than just yourself. Because I, I was talking to the kids about this tonight. I always do prayer with them before they go to their classes, and I was reminding them about the concept of selfish versus selfless. And and because I, I see attitudes, I see these kids come in, they've got this attitude like the whole world revolves around me, like, oh, I am here, you should all applaud, thank you very much. And I'm like, no, 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 no. And so uh, I'm, I'm going to deal with that. 
But, uh, you know, with that attitude's in us, too, by the way. We just mask it better than they do. But, um, you know, we, we look at this idea of, of how the world just revolves around us and our problems is the most important thing. That can get us convoluted. That can get us all skewed the wrong direction and causes us to do the opposite of stay alert. Because when you get so focused on your problem, your problem may be significant. I look at our country today. Our country is so polarized about issues, about, about this or about that, and about this being right or this being right. And, and every side has an opinion, and every side has, has reason for why their opinion is the best. And they're so passionate about it, and they're so gung-ho, and they're so excited about it. But sometimes I stand back and I look and I say, is all of that really accomplishing something? Is all of that really doing anything but getting people so worked up about one thing that they're completely leaving the back door wide open for something else to happen? I mean, I'm not even talking about from a spiritual standpoint. How many people do you know that they've been so focused on one thing that they've completely lost and left their families? You know any workaholics? Know any people that because of whatever mindset that they have, or gambling was it, you know, that's all I was going to do. I was going to go to every boat in the world. I was going to play every lottery ticket. Boom. They're just so focused on that that they're not even thinking about the consequences of what's going on to their family or to their long-term future. You know, we're all that way to a certain extent. But from a spiritual standpoint, especially, if we get so wrapped up in the cares of this world, I'm not saying that you shouldn't care about this world, okay? Should we care about this world? Should we be good citizens? We should be the best citizens. We should stand out as citizens. We should People should look to us and say, man, I want to be like them. But if we're so focused about the here and now, we are leaving the back door open in the stay alert component. We're not staying focused on what really is important. Stand firm against him. Be strong in your faith. Remember that your family of believers all over the world is going through. He's, Peter's reminding us that we're tied to something bigger than just us. We're tied to something that is a bigger issue than just our own. There are souls at stake. How many of you know that every soul matters to God? Jesus died on the cross for every single one of them. The ones you like and the ones you don't like. They all matter to God. He wants all to come to repentance. He wants all to come to the kingdom, no matter who they are. You know, I like what another one of my study commentaries said about lions. It said, lions attack sick, young, or struggling animals. They choose the victims who are alone and not alert. Wow. We've got to be careful to not allow ourselves to get so far off base that we're not alert, that we're not standing firm that we're not staying close to God. That's only between us and God. Nobody else can do that for you. You can be the best of the best. You can have every title in the church. You can be a deacon. You can be a Sunday school teacher. You can be a pastor. You can be a this. You can be a that. You can have had a pedigree of all kinds of stuff. But it's you and God, whether you're standing firm or not. You can have the whole world duped. You know how I know that? Because I know the inside of me. <laughs> There's times that people give me a compliment, and I'm like, you don't know me very well, do you? You don't know what I was just thinking, you know? And, and that's just us. But standing firm is us. It's us and God and us alone. I like what the text in James chapter 4 tells us. Um, James is, I love his perspective too. I love, I love hearing the, the hearts of these guys that spent time with Jesus. And James did it from the standpoint of a brother. Boy, if, if you're going to listen to any of, the, any of the biblical 
accounts. James was, the, this guy believed that his brother, he finally bought it, that his brother was the son of God. <laughs> I mean, how many of you, if your siblings told you all of a sudden, oh, by the way, I'm the Messiah, Laura would be like, uh, yeah, and you're not. So I know you, so you're my sister. You're, not my, you're no Messiah. I mean, James bought it. He believed it because he knew it was real. And James says, humble yourselves before God. I like that he prefaces the whole stay alert, the whole resist the devil with humility. Our relationship with God matters. How we stand isn't an act of strength, it's an act of humility and submitting our life to God, saying, God, your way first. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Principle that I want you to pull away from this first part of the text is an acronym called HALT, H-A-L-T, HALT, hungry, angry, lonely, tired. Those things are going on in your life, you're more susceptible to an attack. You are more susceptible to be prey for the lion that is prowling around looking whom he may devour. Second word I want you to pull away is share. Share. Verse 10 says of 1 Peter chapter 5, In his kindness, God called you to share in his eternal glory by means of Christ Jesus. Peter immediately goes from talking about the enemy of your soul and how we need to be vigilant, that we need to be steadfast, that we need to stand firm, that we need to resist him, that we need to, to focus on staying close to God so that our, our protection, our shield is up. He goes right from that to reminding us why we're doing this. He goes right from that talking about how other people around the world that are facing the same trials, other people, a part of the kingdom of God, are facing the thing, same things that you're facing. He's reminding us all of why it's important to do it. In his kindness, God called you to share in his eternal glory by means of Christ Jesus. It's not because you deserve it. Look at somebody and say, you don't deserve it. And if you don't have anybody to look at to, you can point at me. You don't deserve it. I don't deserve it. None of us deserves it. Not one of us deserves God's grace. Not a one of us has ever done enough to have earned a shred of God's grace. But he has called us to share in his eternal glory. He's reminding us that this little sliver of life that we focus on so much is passing away. Just finished a, a series with the kids this past Sunday called Alien Kids. It's the idea of teaching them that, that we are aliens here in this world based on the scriptural uh, reference that talks about we're just pilgrimers, we're sojourners, we're travelers. We are, we are aliens in this life because we are living for the next life. And so you have to be creative in, in teaching students that concept but sometimes i think as adults we forget it we are so caught up in the here and now especially in our culture again i i, I said earlier i love america i am proud to be an american i'm watching the olympics and i'm cheering for them yay america go usa you know i love seeing the medal count go up but you know our 200 year history as a country is pretty short in the grand spectrum of history and it's even shorter in the grand spectrum of eternity. It's just a blip on the radar. 
the, the number of years that we have allocated to us as a life here on earth is just a blip on the radar of eternity. Jesus is reminding us, I've got eternal glory ahead for you by means of Christ Jesus if you can stand firm, if you can stay close to me, if you can keep your focus on that standing part, you're going to share an incredible blessing, an incredible, amazing thing that you don't deserve. Revelation chapter 21 is a, is a great text too that, that tells us what lies ahead. Verse 3 and 4 says that, I heard a loud shout from the throne saying, Look, God's home is now among His people. He will live with them and they will be His people. God Himself will be with them. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There'll be no more death, no more sorrow, no crying or pain. All these things are gone forever. And I step back and I look at our world and what, what is it that usually polarizes our society and our world and its issues about what would make things better? You ever think about that? Really, the whole grand scheme behind politics is making heaven on earth. Is that ever going to happen? Yeah, it just, I just read it. But until then, no. I'm, I'm not going to stop trying. I'm, again, I told you, be a good citizen. Be a good person. If you don't vote, let me smack you upside the head because you should exercise your right to vote. That's right. Do it. Be a good citizen. Do everything that you can do. But really, when it comes down to it, we're trying to fix something that Jesus is going to fix. We're trying to make something perfect here that's never going to be perfect until he sets foot on the Mount of Olives and makes it all right. Is that all really going to happen? Yeah, it's all really going to happen. It's right here in the book. The Apostle John talked about it. He, he saw this. It's really going to happen. Then he's going to wipe away every tear from their eyes. Why is Peter talking about focusing on eternal glory? Why is Peter reminding us that we're going to share in something bigger and greater and more amazing than we can ever wrap our minds around? Because he knows the same thing that Jesus knows about us, that we're weak, that we have a tendency to get very self-centered, that we have a tendency to focus on ourself and our problems and our things, not to diminish them. Guys, please don't think that I'm, I'm diminishing things that you're going through that are difficult and that are hard. It's, it's reality. It's just part of life that we face difficult things. I love it when a child asks me that question, why does a bad thing happen to them? And they were a good person, Pastor John. And I say, we live in a fallen world where bad people can make bad choices. And sometimes even good people have to have the consequences. I don't like that but it's just the nature of life. But Jesus is going to right all of that wrong. Jesus is going to make everything right that we see as wrong. But right now our world is working tirelessly, hungry, angry, lonely, tired. You ever heard of those things? You ever felt those things? You see those things in our culture? Man, well, we're not very hungry in America. <laughs> we're hungry for the wrong thing. Man, I... I got some news from my doctor that some levels weren't right. And so he's like, well, yeah, you can fix this by not eating this and not eating like this. And I'm like, are you serious? The world is ending if I can't eat all of those things. No, what do you mean my, this level has to be here? You're kidding me, doc. Like, well, sorry, just telling you what it is. You know, we, we think that the whole world is revolved around us. Jesus is saying there's a bigger picture. 
there's a bigger thing going on, and I'm going to take care of all the rest. Peter finishes this text, and he says, After you've suffered for a little while, he will restore. Talking about Jesus. Support and strengthen you. You say, wait a minute, what's the definition of a little? I don't know. How long do I have to go through this valley? I don't know. When people ask me questions like that, I've heard I've heard people give answers that are like, well, you know, you just don't have enough faith, or well, you're you're this or you're that, or maybe there's something wrong in you. I don't know. I'm not God. I just know that I trust him. I know that he has my best interest at heart. And I know that I'm going to keep serving him. I'm going to keep believing in him. I'm going to keep hanging in there. I'm going to keep standing firm. You know, I, I don't know whether it's just that uh, it's, it's been an interesting year for me with my dad passing last summer. Uh, he was always such an active part in my life and such a spiritual uh, impact for, for not just me, but, but lots of people. But, you know, personally to me, I, I know what impact he left on me. And so I've been, I've been pretty reflective this year, been thinking about a lot of things. And in leading up to, to this message, I got to thinking about my life and how much of this Christian walk do I just do out of routine? How much of this Christian walk do I just do because I've always done it? Am I really standing firm? Am I really staying alert? Am I really being vigilant and focusing on the eternal. My dad went to his grave being a soul winner because he somewhere, somehow got a passion for telling people about Jesus. One of the ways that <laughs> to our family was the, the most comical was he was convinced that he was going to tell people about Jesus in a bathroom track. You ever gone into a bathroom and seen a little track sitting on the toilet or on the Ladies, I hope you don't go to the bathroom where there's a urinal, but they do have them in the men's side. But Dad would set these little tracks, these gospel tracks on the toilet paper and on the thing. And, you know, anytime we would go somewhere as a family restaurant, all the grandkids would go in, oh, Grandpa beat me in there. There's the track, you know. You know, Jesus loves you, and it'd be a little thing. You know, you can laugh about that, but it was serious to him. And he was, he was, it was like a spy, it was like an espionage spy mission. Because he would he would wait until nobody was in the bathroom, and he'd always and he always felt like he needed to tidy it up a little bit too, you know. If there was toilet paper or whatever on the ground and paper towels, he he tidied up for him so that way if somebody did come in and catch him leaving tracks, that they wouldn't feel bad because he was working and helping them out. But that was that was a passion to him to tell people about Jesus, to make sure hey this may be their only chance, this may be the only way they're going to get to know it. He. He was focused on the next life and taking as many people there as possible. I look at my dad's life. He stayed alert. But you know what he did? He spent a lot of time reading God's Word. You know, most of my memories of him in the mornings, anytime we were there, you go down early in the morning, he's there at the table reading, reading the Bible. He's there at the table with his head bowed praying. The last 20 years that he pastored his church, he did an early morning prayer meeting at 6 o'clock in the morning. Most God-awful time for prayer in the world. But he did it. And he had a group of guys that would come there and pray with him. I'm not starting this tomorrow, just in case you're wondering. Maybe I should. But 
He put some effort into staying alert, and it shows. We lost an icon in the Christian world today. Reverend Billy Graham passed away. But I've heard a lot of stories about Billy Graham that he worked hard to keep boundaries in place in his life. He worked hard with his spiritual disciplines to stay alert. I heard a story, I don't know whether it's true, but I heard a story that, that Billy Graham would even be so careful as to when he would be in the hospital for surgery or something like that, that he'd always, he would always make it to where there would be accountability so that he'd never be in the room alone with a woman or things like that to where anything could happen. You may say, that's ridiculous. He worked hard to stay alert. It was intentional. He watched and kept himself from those acronyms of hungry, angry, lonely, tired. But how often do we just slough them off and say, eh, just kind of a stretch of life is bad. And I'm not telling you if you're going through a stretch of life where it's crazy and you're having a hard time keeping everything in balance. That's part of life. You know, it just happens. You go through seasons in life where you're busier than others. But you always have to have that beacon, that, that, that north star drawing you back to that point of relationship to where you're focusing again on Jesus as the center, as the focus, as the main thing. Peter's driving it home there. He's going to help you after a little while. He'll res restore, support, strengthen you. He'll place you on a firm foundation. All power to Him forever and ever. Immediately prior to this passage that we just looked at, verse 6 and 7, I wanted to look at the context for it because a lot of times you can jump right into the context and miss what he's saying. He's saying, humble yourselves under the mighty power of God and at the right time He'll lift you up in honor. Give all your worries and your cares to God, for He cares about you. Not to diminish what you're facing, not to diminish what someone you know is facing, because it's real, it's, it's hard, it's difficult. But when our focus becomes all that and not standing firm, we're losing focus on what we have as a long-term goal. The principle I want you to pull away from that is when our perspective stays on the eternal, the present looks different. There's been times in my life where I have prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed about something. I, I had it convinced in my head what God needed to do, how He needed to answer the prayer, what the solution to it was. And so, how many of you have ever given God suggestions? It's okay. I do it all the time. He disregards my suggestions all the time. Not all the time. Sometimes, sometimes He's like, yeah, you got that one right. Good job. Good boy. He still hasn't grown my hair back yet, though. So I guess that isn't going to happen. I guess I'll quit praying for it. I guess I could, what are they? No, I'm not getting implants. That's too hard. So I don't want it that bad. Bald's the new cool. But, you know, when you, when you think about your life, when you think about what you're facing, when you think about what you're going through, focusing on the eternal changes the way you think about things. Focusing on Jesus, His power. Focusing on what His plan for your life is. Focusing on what His plan for the people that you're mad at. You really want to rock your world? Start praying for the people that you're the most irritated at. Wow, I went from preaching to meddling right there in a second, didn't I? Yeah, that's not easy. We don't want to pray for them. We want to be stay mad at them. We want to prove them wrong. We want to tell them how dumb they are that they don't think the way that we think. Start praying for them. 
I got news for you. God's got a whole lot more influence with them than you do. I heard another quote that I thought was really, really good. Even people that used to go to church that don't anymore, they still have a crush on Jesus. I like that. They still love Jesus. They still got an affinity for Jesus. But you know what? Jesus has never given up on them. He is relentlessly pursuing them. The Holy Spirit's always going after them. So our focus needs to be focused on what his agenda is. Here's my challenge for you. I want you to, to, this has been kind of a reflective passage of scripture that really is challenging. It's challenging to me. I hope it's challenging to you. But look at the areas in your life. Look at the areas in your life that maybe you've gotten a little complacent. You know, maybe it's a spiritual discipline of prayer. Maybe it's a spiritual discipline of Bible reading, listening to positive music, Christian music, coming to church regularly, whatever. I don't, I don't know what that is for you. But if you've let hang, hungry, angry, or hangry, <laughs> hangry, maybe you're hangry. You're mad and angry at the same time. Hungry, angry, lonely, tired creep in, and your focus is all on you and on those problems you're probably not focusing on the spiritual disciplines. So pray for strength to stand your ground. God wants us all to stand firm. God wants us all to stand our ground and finish this race well. Do you know that? You know God wants the best for you? He has your best interest at heart. He wants you to to make it. And you know what else he wants? He wants everybody you know and love to make it. How many of you, the the older I get, the more I think about, you know, because a lot of times when you're, life is all centered around, you've got your duckies all in a row. When those duckies start to branch off, they can do their own things and do their own decisions. I've got a new appreciation for God in all of that because I see how God has to see us, want what's best for us, but let us come to terms with it all by ourselves and make our own decisions. God wants everybody that you know in his kingdom, but we're a big component in that. We've got to stand firm. We've got to stay focused on the right thing. Can I pray with you before we go? God, I just pray, Lord, that this word would sink in. We thank you that you inspired Peter 2,000 years ago to pen your words for us. And so we take it very seriously that this is for us and it's applicable to us tonight. God, I thank you that, that your word does jump off the pages and come to life when we look at it, when we study it, when we read it, when the Holy Spirit inspires us and and it becomes real to us. God, I pray more than anything that your word became alive to us tonight and we realize not just the power of our enemy, but the power of Christ who lives in us in facing our enemy. I pray, Lord, that we would be sober, that we would be vigilant, that we would stand firm against the attacks of our enemy. Even though he wants to destroy us, we thank you, Jesus, that greater is he that lives in us than he that's in the world. God, I pray that as we leave here tonight, that it would be with a new resolve to follow you, to serve you, to love you, but to also serve and love the world that's hurting all around us. Let us be your hands and your feet, your salt and your light as we walk out of this place. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.